Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Design Recharge. I'm your host, Diane Gibbs, and this week we have Raina Takahashi, and I met Raina in Cleveland this past August at WMC Fest. So if you haven't seen uh, or heard her, her, you will probably know who she is when you um, see some of her work. But um, she's so humble, had such a great story. I had notes and notes, pages of notes, and one of the things that I just loved was that she just had this kind of um, effervescent spirit for sure. But she was like, I just went for it. Just, it was hard, but I just went, go for it. And I love that kind of attitude because a lot of times we all, we all need that. So without further ado, Raina, thank you so much for being here. And will you just kind of give everybody a little bit of, because I think one of the things that was so impressive to me was your, you were just like a normal designer and then you just kind of, not that you were weird now, not at all, but you have such an amazing um, transformation because you were doing like financial, uh, mm -hmm. it, like for a bank or something, right? UX, UI stuff, right? Yeah. So thank you for having me. Um, my background is kind of all over the place, I guess, in terms of not having anything to do with paper. Um, I went to school in Pittsburgh. I grew up in Ohio. And then my first job was at a financial analysis company called Morningstar. Um, they do all kinds of fund and investment analysis, but they have this really amazing design team in-house. And so when I went there, I was primarily doing UI and UX uh, for their website and also for their mobile application. And so it was actually kind of funny because my background in school was all print. And then here I was learning how to front end code and publishing that and then also working on mobile. Um, and that was for the iPhone 3 and Blackberry. So it was quite a while ago, but um, that's where I started. After that, I went on to consulting. Um, and that was pretty interesting, too, because our company was responsible for working with our clients and figuring out sort of what was next in terms of a new service or a new product. So I got to go on a lot of research to actually talk to customers and how they spend their daily lives and then also visualize, you know, some of these new ideas that we can um, suggest to our clients. So pretty different from paper art, but for the five years that I was in Chicago, that's, that's what I was doing. That's cool. So then what you started doing some, personal exploration when you were in Chicago and then you talked about at WMC Fest how you really kind of dug down once you got to San Francisco. So what, what were you doing and was it, were you kind of exploring a lot of different, like were you painting were you, or was it always kind of three dimensional? Were you always kind of drawn to a more sculptural art? Um, definitely. I wasn't really into sculpture per se or anything like that. Um, I guess since I was really young, I was really into like handmade crafts and stuff like that. So I explored all kinds of things when I was little from like stamping was a big one, stamping and embossing, cross stitch, embroidery, crochet, that kind of thing. So I think that's when I kind of realized that you can really make anything. Um, but after school, I did primarily focus on paper. Um, one of my senior projects was in paper and that's sort of what kicked it off. And then, I mean, I did random other things like I took figure drawing classes and sure. a woodworking class, which I was terrible at. <laughs> I was really bad. It was uh, with like a mortise and chisel by hand making joints and stuff. My, my things never fit together, but it's still pretty fun. <laughs> So, yeah, it's been mostly paper since graduating. So, so then what happened? So you moved to California mm -hmm. and 
what, because you said you really went into a deep dive of doing kind of this exploration, because I feel like a lot of times people are either they know they don't really want to do, they want to start a side project, but they don't really know what, and then, or some people are at the stage of, hey, like Carly, who was also at WMC Fest, yeah. makes these great little 3D, they're mm -hmm. just so cute, you guys should check her out. Carly, you should write your uh, thing in the chat. And Clea's here from Ireland. So great to see you. Um, but like they're at a stage where, what do I do with this? I know what I want to do. I've made these things. I'm making work. What's that next step? Where were you in the process when you moved to California? Sure. Um, so for the five years that I was in Chicago, I did continue to make things out of paper, but it was mostly for myself. And I mm -hmm. posted it to my Tumblr. Mostly it was my family that was looking at it. Um, and in retrospect, those five years, I think, were more about foundational skills. Mm -hmm. So I was learning sort of how to use the knife and how paper reacts to different environments and how to fold it and curve it and that kind of thing. And so... It wasn't very much of a conscious decision, I guess, but I sort of fell into doing a project in San Francisco once I got here um, that ended up being sort of my pivotal project into realizing that I really loved doing this um, all the time. <laughs> was that the 826 Valencia project? or was yeah, that a... it was. So if you want to show some of those, that would be sure. great. And then kind of walk them through. Because so if you were just kind of doing this on your own, you're posting these. So it's really kind of still a passion project, a hobby. You're probably not doing something like this for clients yet, right? Or were you? Right. So 826, I guess it's technically sort of a client, but it's, um, it's my sort of volunteer work. And so they're a nonprofit. Um, for anyone who's not familiar, 826 is this great nonprofit that focuses on helping students um, improve their creative writing and expository writing but they have this amazing store where they sell all of these like pirate supplies and so you can get uh, peg legs or eye patches or all kinds of really whimsical and funny stuff but anyway um, I wanted to volunteer to tutor and so I wasn't I didn't have creative stuff in mind at all but um, I was trying to volunteer to tutor and then also signed up to be a creative volunteer to design some some of their student books and then I also just checked off window display as something I was interested in and I, I thought it was you know helping the store staff install windows or climbing ladders or something like that but I can share my screen and show you what I ended up doing that would be great so before this you had you had been kind of had you been going into the space and had you seen other store display windows um, I had gone to the space before and that's how I knew about them as an organization and that's why I wanted to volunteer with them and I'd heard about them before in Chicago they have a shop in Chicago as well um, and so I got an email from the store this is the window the first one that I ever did for them um, and the store manager emailed me and was had seen my work from my creative application and asked me to do one of their windows and she was very excited and I'd never met her before, but she somehow kind of saw something in my work to be able to do a giant window. So um, it was pretty scary. But um, so like with the 826 here, are you doing um, foam tape that keeps it off or are you cutting it out of like foam core? Um, it's a mix. So the main stuff, so this is a, a treasure map in this shape of San Francisco. Um, this main one is layers of foam core, but I covered all of the sides with paper. 
And then the rest of it is all paper. So you can see a little wow. bit of a close-up of one of them. So this is Golden Gate Park with a creature in it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and then it was also my first time installing work, so I had a lot of friends helping me with that too. And then you even did the bottom. So the the first picture, you can kind of see the little ship and then the mm -hmm. waves. Um, so because this is very sculptural, maybe you weren't good at woodworking, but really this kind of molded have even as a kid or were like clay or was it always kind of because um, I think it's different you think differently when you have to think and mold and it really is getting to know the medium and I mean you took five years of really getting to know but like had you made trees like this or um, waves <laughs> like this before no a lot of this was experimentation before actually figuring out what the form would be so I either start by kind of making a few drawings of what the form could look like and then um, also experiment with actual scraps of paper to see how the forms will fit together. Um, yeah, and I, prior to this, I had done a lot of stuff in 2D, but I hadn't done that much stuff in 3D. So that was another hurdle for me here was um, the fact that it was in 3D, the fact that it would be in a window facing the sun for three months, you know, that kind of thing is something that I'd never had to think about before. So then because it's, and I, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit off camera or on camera, but not recording, mm -hmm. um, that was what kind of paper. And so you in this process have figured out a lot about maybe light fastness or about what colors are best, what, you know, paper folds better. And it, really it's like with the grain, probably you have to really um, be specific on where the grain is if you have something really big. But is this still the 826 project? I know you've done it since this time, since this mm -hmm. first one. Is this one of the biggest projects, like physically biggest projects that you've worked on? Or have you done even larger? Uh, no, this is definitely the biggest. The window itself, I guess you don't see a, a full view of it. But from edge to edge is 15 feet. Um, and then it's not very deep. It's maybe a foot and a half to two feet deep and then mm -hmm. seven feet high. So it's really big. And every year I'm, I'm terrified of whether I can fill it or not. So you always do it one quarter out of the year for them? Yeah, basically. Um, I'm always doing the holiday window. I just did the uh, fourth one, but the fourth one was really exciting because I got to work with four other paper artists. It was an extra special window for their 15th year anniversary. So it was way bigger and way more massive scale than I could have ever done by myself. That's awesome. So how long are you, and this is all in your spare time because this is volunteer, correct? Yeah. So yeah, I was doing these on weekends and before or after work too. So, but this had a lot of people pass by this window. So you actually got um, some um, press, I guess, from doing this window. Was it a lot different? And Carly had a great question. Mm -hmm. She I, was this project. Um, I know it was different for you, but was it different than what they had had in the store before? I think so. I mean, they have a fair number of displays that they design on their own. Um, it might be a feature on their scholarship winners, that sort of thing. And they um, occasionally have artists putting work in the windows. So they have had like very intricate, wide, giant scale windows before. Um, I think it might be the first time that they consistently have a person for the holiday window. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that's a little bit different for them. 
So Carly asked a question, which I thought mm -hmm. is really good. 15 feet is a big space. So d before you took on this project, she asked, did you do any research about window design specifically or did you just jump in? And I know you um, said you did some sketches and you always do some sketches. And Linda said she'd love to see some of your sketches. I don't know if you have any you can pull up or hold up to the camera. Um, yeah. Just maybe take us off um, screen oh, yeah. share before you do that. But did you do any research on screen? I mean, I'm not on screen share. On window? You know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I was looking a lot um, for inspiration of other window installations and seeing how people fill the space, um, how you use sort of like the foreground space versus the background space, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot out there that's really cool. But I didn't really, I guess, read into anything in terms of how to hang things or um, anything technical. Um, what I did realize maybe halfway through was that uh, my forte up until that point is uh, smaller objects. And so what I did and what you saw is that, you know, there were a few really big objects to fill up the space, but then on the actual treasure map itself, it's like all of these little things. And so that's sort of the mix that I came up with for that one. And that really used your strengths, right? You could get a big, the scroll was really big in the water, but the water was made up of smaller pieces. Mm -hmm, but also right. you're limited on what size paper yep. you can you know, use because then the scroll might have just been like butcher paper. And then I don't know if you had to paint it. It kind of looked like it yeah. was aged, right? That was the hardest part was finding paper big enough. Um, it was actually a roll of watercolor and I uh, dyed it with tea and coffee. Oh, wow. That's great. It looks, it looks aged. So that's good. So do you have any of your sketches? Yeah, I don't have it for the 826 window, but I think I have some that would kind of explain my process a little bit. So um, you're working on a pretty big sketchbook or a sketch oh, yeah. pad. It's like, this big. Oh, so not too big. It looked bigger when it was right next oh, to the movie. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like just like really thin pages, which makes it easier for me to just think of it as scrap paper almost. Mm -hmm. um, this is a submarine that's yet to be finished that I was working on. And so I'll often think of what the, the actual shape looks like, and then I'll go into how it unfolds. And, you know, if I really need to, then I'll do measurements and stuff too. That's awesome. I love that. So do you, can you, because you've done so many kind of folds, do you need to practice on the paper first before you draw it? Or do you always start with a drawing and then go from there? Um, sometimes I go, I actually prefer to go right to the paper if I can. So things like the 100 day project that I worked on was daily and it was uh, a little bit quicker. So I would go straight to paper and straight to cutting. Um, just because I think it's a little bit easier to experiment that way when it's, it's live and it's real. Mm -hmm. um, but some of the, the bigger projects that I work on that are more geometric or that I need to um, kind of think through all of the measurements before I start cutting, then I'll, I'll sketch those. So when clients come to you, this isn't one of my questions either, but I just am filled with questions for you. When mm -hmm. clients come to you, do they have a set size that they want you to do? Like, is the submarine going to be eight inches or, or do they say, you know, do whatever because you're going to photograph it or have a photographer photograph it at whatever size they need it? If the final output is a photograph, then they don't usually dictate how big it would be. Um, there was one shoot that I was on that uh, was a like a tabletop shoot. And so in that case, it has to fit on a tabletop, which works great for me. Um, 
And then I guess if there are other objects or products within the shoot, then it would matter how, how big those are. So with the 100-day project, this is mm -hmm. something you decided. You decided to do food, right? Yeah. And these are fantastic. And you had done, like, there's, some of them are so detailed. Like, it looks like sugar's dropped, but it's really just paper, right? And they're tiny, oh, yeah. tiny. <laughs> and then there's, like, an everything bagel one time. Mm -hmm. and so you're taking all these. It's not just the bagel. I mean, there's, like, salmon or something in there too you know like yeah. not real salmon oh, people but that one yeah that would be great so how big were those are you working like four inches by four inches just because it is I would expect some of those would have taken a lot a good bit of time actually um most of them fit on like a six by six square maybe mm -hmm. um yeah they're all they're all I don't know if you can still see me they're all about this yes. big <laughs> okay yeah um, so these are some of those pop tarts. Love those. So can you go back to the pop tart real quick? Sure. So you're really pulling it off the page too. So how were you propping it up on something? Yeah, it was very informal. <laughs> so um, I was always shooting in natural light and um, just on my desk by my window. And when I felt like it would benefit from being propped up, I would just kind of make like a little triangle of paper and hope that it will stay for the two seconds that I need to take a photo. It's not anything very formal at all. I'm not even using fishing line because it's such a quick right. study or a quick exercise. So um, yeah, it's very much a balancing game. Uh, so you're taking these, were you taking these with a real camera or with your phone? Uh, with a real camera. Um, I actually have it here. I, I'm just using like a Sony Alpha 5000. I think that's what it's called. Cool. Well, maybe you can give send me a link for Amazon for something on that one. So then we'll share that your actual. So that's been a really good flexible camera for you. Yeah, I've I've really loved using it. Cool. All right. Um, let me go into. I'm skipping all around. So <laughs> back to the eight to six project. Um, were you? Um, I guess this is more about your your mental state at this time you you thought you were just going to be helping volunteer and then they mm -hmm. said like helping somebody with their writing like not necessarily you just check this box and then you realize it was so big and you were doing it alone what was the time frame and then was there a point where you're like "Ooh, this is a little too big uh yes <laughs> um let's see i think for that first one i think i started talking to them in July or August, so sometime during the summer. Um, and it installed before Thanksgiving. So their holiday stuff goes in around Thanksgiving time. Um, and yeah, I guess just measuring the space, even just looking at it that first time, it was overwhelming. And even now I've, I've tried it four times and it still feels daunting. Um, because if you don't fill the space, then it, it just looks really sparse. But if you make things too big, then it, it's just overwhelming if you're on the sidewalk right next to it. Right. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a challenge. And it was something that I was really scared and uncomfortable to do. Um, but I didn't do it by myself either. I had a lot of help from friends who would kind of sit at my dining table and make trees or, you know, help me climb ladders and put things up and stuff like that. Too. So then it wasn't, didn't feel so alone, but you still took on the challenge and you had that go for it kind of attitude, right? Yeah, I guess so. I, there wasn't, um, 
I couldn't think of too many reasons to say no other than that it was uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, and you had never done anything that big. I know I've interviewed other people. I know Derek Castle had gotten approached by Miller Lite and he was like, he told them no. And then they came to his door the next day with a six pack of beer or 12 pack or something. They said, we want you to reconsider. And I thought oh. that's hilarious. But I think, you know, I think sometimes saying no, there's, there's more to it than just being scared. Right. But I think sometimes you just have to go for it. Even if you haven't, Ezra has a great question. How did you get the edges of the paper to be rounded and raised like on the pop tart icing? Oh, I get that question a lot. Let me show you a tool. Did you um, send me that tool? Silicone? No. Oh, it's, um, it's a version of one of the ones I showed you. Sorry, I'm digging around. Oh, it's back here. <laughs> um, so I use these tools where the end is like a ball. Mm -hmm. Is it like a burnisher set? Yeah, so it's a burnisher, and that's in there. Um, and basically, you're almost, it's almost like you're folding the very, very, very edge of the paper. So you're kind of holding it at a diagonal and then running this along and then that gives you that nice curve and it catches the light in a really nice way too. And they have that usually in the, if you go to Hobby Lobby or Dick Blick or if you want to see, can you hold it up? They usually have two sides, two points. One's fine. Mm -hmm. um, and I have some, it's like in the embossing section and sometimes embossing will have um, like these metal plates and you put the paper on top and then you kind of burnish to get that shape so they have one this size and then they sometimes will have a smaller size right yeah I actually have <laughs> good I have my tools right here um <laughs> so this one is interchangeable oh. but I use both of these tips so often that I just bought two so this is for creasing it's really it's a little bit sharper like a point yeah this one yeah. is like a point so this is more for if I need to make a fold and then this one is more for either a blunter fold, I guess, or uh, burnishing the edge. So Brian with a Y, I don't know where you're calling in from, but let us know. Um, but he has a question. Um, do you ever work with wet paper to form it, or is it always folding, folding, burnishing, rolling? Oh, this is my friend Brian. He's from Fort Smith, Arkansas. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Brian Alexis. Um, I worked with wetting the paper for that first 826 window, that scroll that you saw behind, mm -hmm. especially because it was watercolor. I knew it could take the, the, um, the water. It's watercolor paper, so it could right. take, you know, uh, water in the weight. And then if you dry it in the shape that you want it, then it'll usually stay pretty well. Um, but the other paper I use on a daily basis is a little bit too thin for that, I think. So have you, and you talked about like Canson has a really good um, drawing paper set. So are you okay. just going and you're just buying or are you buying, do you have like a whole stack of papers? Like people do like quilters, you know, it was yeah. part of your house just dedicated to, because I would think as a freelancer, you're, you are investing some and I don't know if you're buying it per sheet or by a pad or. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm a paper hoarder. <laughs> I have a ton of it. Um, but yeah, Canson, Fabriano, those are both uh, drawing papers that you can get at Blick, and I use those quite a bit. And just because I've, I usually buy them single, maybe three or four sheets at a time, but um, they're usually per project. And by now, I've, I've worked on it so much that I have a giant stack that's from leftovers or just half sheets that I didn't end up using and that sort of thing. And then I also have a letter size tray that has a lot of paper in it too. Cool. 
So um, Ezra also wants to know what paper weight do you usually use? 65 pound or 100 pound? And then why would you choose different weights for different parts of the project? Because I would think sometimes it really has to do with what you're doing, right? Yeah, it definitely depends on what I'm doing. I'm really bad at paper weights. If anyone on the thing actually knows better. So this is a Canson paper and it's very, it's pretty flexible, um, but it's not like a text rate. It's a little bit heavier. Um, and that's usually what I use um, for anything that needs to be curved, especially. Um, thicker papers I use for, um, especially for windows and things like that, where it needs to be structurally sound and it needs to be very solid. Um, and it depends, like depending on the paper line, some of them will fold really nicely and curve really terribly, or some will curve nicely, you know, like those kinds of things, you have to balance that too. And then also with the colors that are available. So then what do you do with them? Do you just have a drawer full of paper art or do you, cause I would think some that's 3D, I mean, you kind of have to squish it to save it or you either have a really big apartment. And so, um, yeah. Sometimes so, I squish it. <laughs> you know, like if I don't feel like I'm going to ever use it again, I squish it and I, it goes away and that's fine. Um, and I also have some boxes um, sort of in a storage space in our apartment that, but they're pretty small, you know, like my pieces are, you can hold them with your hands. And so I get um, like big, what are they called? Like plastic totes. And I put, mm -hmm. put them in there. But like the hundred day project, that's a lot of, if you have a lot of things that are this big, you know, mm -hmm. that's a, a lot of things. I guess, but not all of them are true 3D either. Right. Like some of them are more flat so I can stack them. And I think those all fit into like maybe shoebox size boxes. Gotcha. And I spelled Canson Carson. So sorry about that, people. Uh, it's C-A-N-S-O-N. -S it'll be in the show notes. Um, so Nikki has a question. What's mm -hmm. the process you go through to make the decision on what to use to get the desi desired effects? So I'm not sure if she's talking about conceptually or the physically, though, how you would roll something. But I think those five years of prep in that 100-day project probably taught you a lot about how the paper works, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, I guess conceptually, I'm... What do I do? I, I try to um, kind of think of how well the, the form that I have in my head will represent that thing that I'm making. So if I'm making a Vespa, for example, like what are the actual forms that make a Vespa a Vespa? I'm trying to kind mm -hmm. of abstract to that. And then in terms of actually technically with the paper, I don't know. I think it is um, like having worked with it for a while, there are like a couple ideas I have in my head of how I'll start. And that's how I did the 100 day project too, is um, whenever I thought, oh, I need, I'm going to make a bagel today, then my mind sort of goes to what form it would take. And it doesn't always work. <laughs> like sometimes I try it and it looks not like a bagel at all. And then I have to kind of work with it a little bit. Right. Kim says she loved the bagel. The bagel is amazing. One of the things I I really liked in that 100-day project, it does seem like you were really pushing yourself. And granted, some days you probably had less time. The bagel day, I think you had more time because it's really <laughs> involved. Um, and also, you, again, the desired effect was, hey, I'm going to do something more 3D today as opposed mm -hmm. to maybe the Pop-Tart was more flat, right. um, but you lifted it up. And so I think you were also pushing your photography skills. You were oh, yeah. pushing color probably. A lot mm -hmm. was something you were – it really looks very 
um, very colorful, very vibrant, but sometimes you were choosing different tones, which I, which I loved that. Um, so with, there was something I was going to ask you with the hundred day project. Um, so what was the reason that you started it? How, how far into your paper career were you? How far after the Valencia project, mm -hmm. the first Valencia project, did you start doing that 100 day project and why? So I actually, the, the food and breakfast one that you just saw is my second time doing the 100 day project. Um, in 2014, I did my very first one. And um, that one was maybe three or four months after Valencia had ended. And I was looking for something to fill my, my time <laughs> outside of work after Valencia was over. Um, you know, it was just like I had my mornings free and I had my evenings free and I kind of didn't know what, what to do. <laughs> so the 100 Day Project came up as um, starting in April. And there are a lot of people on Instagram that try to start on the same day. So you can kind of follow along on progress of other people. And so that's why I did my first one. And then my second one, I, I kind of just wanted to commit to a project. And so... Um, having already done the 100-day project before, I knew it would be starting up. And then I had a few different goals this time than I did last time. So what day does the 100-day project start up? Do you remember? Um, it's usually early April. Um, there's a whole website for it. It's, um, if you Google the 100-day project, then you'll, you'll find it. It was started by a Bay Area artist as something where she kind of called upon a lot of creatives everywhere to just start. And you don't have to start on that day, but it's, right. it's kind of cool to see. But sometimes having accountability with other people mm -hmm. helps you to just keep going, right? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. So what other projects have you taken on that have been a little bit scarier maybe to you or that have um, pushed your skills? So I was trying to think of this earlier. There, there's actually one project that didn't really have too much to do with my making art. Um, but this was a project that I did with the Chicago Design Museum. Um, when I was living in Chicago, maybe five or six friends and I um, were interested in starting a new design organization. And what ended up happening was that I ended up organizing one of the exhibitions. And um, that's something that I would never have expected myself to sign up for at all. Like at the time, this was in maybe 2012, I think. Um, I was interested in helping my friends, you know, and so I expected that someone would have an idea and I would support them and do everything I could, right? And right. not actually, like, lead any sort of effort. You'd be the really friend that other people are helping? Yeah, so <laughs> I don't see myself as that person, I guess. And then um, towards the early days, um, the guy that was leading it told me or told everyone that one of the exhibitions had fallen through. So would anyone want to volunteer to, you know, try another exhibit where we reach out to designers and artists to contribute work specifically for the museum? And no one said anything. <laughs> and then I heard myself sign up and I, I was very surprised at the fact that I even did that. But it turned out really great. And I reached out to all of these designers that I had heard or read about before and thought were amazing. And everyone was very gracious. Um, and the, the exhibit was a success and the museum was a success too. So I think that's my first time when I realized that I, I could do something like that. And so yeah. that was significant to me that way. 
That's cool. All right. So Ezra has another two questions. Mm -hmm. So the first one is just curious, why do you choose to hand cut versus using a laser cutter? Mm -hmm. So using a InDesign, I mean, a Illustrator AI file and cutting something. Yeah. I mean, I do use a machine sometimes. Um, it's not a laser cutter. It's called a silhouette cameo and mm -hmm. it has a little blade and it follows along an AI file. Mm -hmm. and I do that when I need to make something um, consistently. Like if I need to make eight of the same thing and it has to be exactly the same, then it's way easier to use that. Um, I tend to do things by hand because sometimes it's a little bit quicker for me. Mm. Um, the side of the brain that does this stuff by hand is way stronger than the side of the brain that thinks of the geometry and the vector files <laughs> for figuring out how to, how to make all this stuff. Um, but I think both definitely have a place and like both require different kinds of creativity and um, planning. So yeah, I definitely do both. So he also had another question. It said, mm -hmm. also, as a, also as a paper artist, and we are going to get into that, so we're just going to dive into this now. Um, you're, are you represented by an agency? And if not, how do you go about getting new clients? Because so you're working I'm, as a freelancer, right? That's part of your, where your story is right now. Yep. Um, I'm new to freelancing. I just started in November, so you know, take my answers with a grain of salt, but um, I'm not represented by an agency. I've thought about it and I would be open to the idea of it um, because getting new work is really hard. And I think it's kind of a mixture of being out there and um, kind of having your work in as many places as you possibly can. And then also like personally reaching out to people too. And so yeah, it's tough. Like sometimes I get jobs from people Google searching for a paper artist and then sometimes it's through Instagram and sometimes it's um, from working, not working. It comes from a lot of different places. So I think it's, it's worth it to sort of invest a little time in each of those. Absolutely. Um, all right. So let's see at, at the, going back to the hundred day project, was there a certain day the first time when you did it in 14, was there a certain day that you got to where you were like, oh, this is just habit. I'm just doing this. Because I've heard different things. Habit start at 14 days. Habit start at 30 days, 45 days, 60 days. What, what do you think? Because um, there, there was a day when it was hard. Like, oh, I just oh, yeah. don't really want to keep doing this. But then you'd already committed so much time. Yep. I mean, I, I think, uh, I don't know maybe a month into it, you start to think it starts to become a thing where you're like, Oh yeah, I have to do this mm -hmm. you know, every day. And so it becomes a little bit more natural to think of instead of, Oh, I forgot <laughs> I need to do it. <laughs> um, so there's that. Um, I think the days when it's hard to do it are still peppered in from one to a hundred. You know, there are days when depending on how your day went or how you slept or whatever, <laughs> you know, it's just harder to do. Um, and so, yeah, I think, it's, it will become more um, something that you naturally think of, but I don't think it necessarily becomes like smooth sailing just from one point on forever. Well, I also think it's one of those things that um, thinking of something can be, um, I've heard it can be very debilitating for some people. You're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Because at 30 days, anybody can come up with 30 ideas probably. It's maybe pushing it a little bit, but once you get to that 50 or past 50, it kind of can get hard. Like, what am I going to do? What other breakfast foods are there, right? Yeah, totally. For breakfast especially, it was hard. I think around 80, I couldn't think of more breakfast foods. So I kept, I, I got a little creative, I think. 
um, I don't remember when, but there was cold pizza at one point. You know, there's <laughs> there's a bunch of different ones. Um, and so, yeah, or I like remix one that I've heard of before, but it's, it has an egg on it this time or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the steak is a different shape instead of <laughs> link sausage or something. Yeah. Um, all right. So this kind of goes with um, Ezra's question about going out on your own. And mm-hmm. now that you're a freelancer, what kind of things are you doing to get your name out? So you said networking, but what, kind, what does that look like? Because I feel like a lot of people are at that same stage and we're still always trying to grow and get, there's always somebody who doesn't know about you, right? So how do you, how do you get um, into the, that realm? I'm still trying to figure this out, but what has worked for me, well, what I've tried so far are things like, I've tried cold emailing. So there are a number of clients where I'm like, oh, I would love to work with them, or I, I feel like my work would fit really well with them. Um, I find whoever the art director could be there, and then I email them. That doesn't seem as successful, to be honest. I, I mean, I don't know, because you don't know if anyone's ever read that email, or you know, it's one of right. those things where you're maybe planting the seed, but you won't see the result of it until later when they actually think of a project that makes sense for you. Right. Um, but what actually has been pretty useful for me was that I reached out to a couple blogs. So design blogs that I had looked at when I was a student and still really admired. Um, and so if I think, so Swissness was one of them and it was featured on that site. And then I think from there, the internet does its thing where, you know, mm-hmm. someone sees that and then says something and then goes somewhere else. And I think that has actually brought me a little bit more work too. So do you just reach out and say, hey, I have this project, here's some images and I'd love to be featured? Or how do you, I, I don't know how to craft that email. Maybe it's because I need to go to the A26 and get better at my creative writing. But no, no, it's um, it's hard. Um, I guess I there sometimes some blogs have like a submission email or something. Um, I think for some of them, I was saying something like, "Hi, I'm a paper artist. This is what I do. I really love your blog. I thought it might be fun to share this project that I worked on," and then send them a link and keep it really short. Mm-hmm. Um, the link has all of the image that they would need and some background information too. And so um, I think making it easy for the other person is a key point where it's short and anything that they need, they can find without having to email back and forth, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So, all right. So have you ever heard of this? I mean, this is an old book. Me and Kim Pinella, we're trying to get better about getting more illustration work. So have you ever seen this book, Artists and no. Okay, you need to get this. I mean, granted, get the one that's not um, 2006, but they have one for every year, and just so everybody kind of knows. Um, and it's filled with, um, like, if you wanted to, if you wanted to submit your work to galleries, which probably mm-hmm. not for us, but like advertising and design agencies. There's magazines that book publishers. So, like, mm-hmm. if you, I think your stuff would be great on a making a cover of a book, and it's 3D. I mean, not the, you know, they're taking a photograph of it. But I think that there's a um, somebody else, some uh, uh, somebody else that I followed that I've had on the show, Noah Elias. He did a book through Book Rally, and it's B O O K R A L L Y. I think uh-huh. may have an E in there. But they also take um, people, um, you know, to do uh, 
like you can you can submit and say you're an artist they do children's books sometimes oh, i think cool. yours would be awesome as a children's book so it's like they have a writer but somebody needs to design it or they have a writer and somebody needs to illustrate it if it's i mean it's a good resource for everybody but this i think you can get it online like but okay. it's filled with like it has different tabs like this tabs the book publisher posters and prints mm -hmm. uh, magazines greeting cards and gifts that might also be a good one for you too just from because i think oh, yeah. physically I they just are greeting card recently yeah they're just but they look so cute like taking a picture of them mm -hmm. and you know i don't know anyway i just think that anyway that's well, a resource for everybody <laughs> yeah i think so but i don't i didn't really know i wouldn't know what to say to uh but now i thankfully you kind of walked me through the blog thing yeah, All right. and it's helpful to know that they are used to getting those emails. Yeah, for sure. So, and th that book tells you that they're expecting or how many illustrations they buy per year or, oh, mm -hmm. so anyway, it kind of gives you an idea. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, something else, sorry to pop that in there. Um, what type of um, opportunities are you targeting? Like editorial illustrations, social media ads, stop motion, um, and are you reaching out to magazines, business to business or business to consumer kind of? Um, because what I do is so niche, um, all of the above. <laughs> I guess, so the thing is like, I think some people focus in on one industry um, because they're very like, they work in all kinds of mediums, for example, but because I do paper, you know, that's primarily the kind of work that I'm trying to get. And so I, decided to go freelance partially because I really want to work with variety in mm -hmm. terms of project and client and the type of work and stuff like that. Um, so I've done things like um, uh, editorial illustrations where I read the article and then I come up with an illustration, but it's made out of paper and photographed mm -hmm. or things like for editorial, if someone's writing um, an article on bugs, then I'll, I'll make the bugs, you know, and then they'll photograph it and right. stuff like that. Um, other times I'm working directly with a client on their new marketing assets, for example. So I might make some paper props and bring them on the photo shoot set and style them. And then a photographer takes a photo. What else? Um, greeting cards. I'm actually going to be doing a book cover for 826 soon. So that should be really exciting. Hey, that's cool. Yeah. So that was, yeah, I'm really excited for that. I'm trying to think of what else. But you know what else you could do? You could do like. Take, like, say it was your 100-day project. So mm -hmm. it's all of them are together on a thing, and they're now it becomes sheet sets or something. You know, like, people love breakfast. I mean, it seems like um, it, could, it could have more legs. Like, there mm -hmm. are some – I mean, you would probably need somebody else, but um, Amaryllis Henderson is also an illustrator. Now, she doesn't work – I mean, she works on paper, but she doesn't work with paper like you do. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like, you know, she goes and she went to the stationary New York stationary show. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just, just thinking yeah. of other opportunities for you. And, yeah. but that may be, she, that when you do it your first time, you can do a booth, you can just walk around, you could do a booth totally. and then you, I don't know. It just might, I mean, cause like, I would think it like that little, it was like a little coffee pot. I don't drink coffee. So maybe mm -hmm. it was a teapot, mm -hmm. but it was purple or some, you know, it had like purples and blues like that. And like coffee mugs, I can see that like repeating on pajama pants. I mean, people, people <laughs> yeah. would buy that, I think. And then it has that sort of 3d effect, but it's really just different colors, you know, especially 
I'm thinking of that one particularly because it's really just, I mean, they're so illustrative, just like the submarine that you showed us. I mean, you're really thinking about something. You're honing it down to be what is needed for people to see this as a submarine, mm -hmm. you know? Right. I mean, it's very illustrative. Yeah. Anyway. Mm -hmm. All right. Ezra has another question. Enough of me rambling. All right. Ezra is also a paper art, or maybe she, he's asking. Anyway, as a paper artist, do you think it's better to focus on a niche or do a bit of everything? For example, I see a lot of paper artists on Instagram only doing paper portraits. Some only do paper flowers. Mm -hmm. And you, have you ever thought of teaching paper crafting class? Um... <laughs> So do you, yeah, go ahead. do you think it's better to have like a niche kind of thing? I think from what you're saying, you don't want to just put all your eggs in one basket and just do flowers, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think one is better than the other, but I personally just like the challenge of making all kinds of different things. Um, and then, yeah, so I don't, I don't, for me specifically, variety is really cool and I like the flexibility um, because I tend to get bored if I just mm -hmm. do one thing. And yeah, I do think of each of the um, assignments as a challenge where it's like, oh, how do I make a car or how do I make a bagel? And um, I right. think that's part of the fun of it for me. Then have you ever thought about teaching a paper crafting class or a workshop? Yeah, yeah I'm, um, I was working with a few like corporations, like corporate clients on doing workshops internally and then um, perhaps a Skillshare or that sort of class. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely interested in that. Cool. That's awesome. Um, Derek says, I could do editorial stuff, paper, mation, TV show, children's books, cookbooks. I think yeah. thinking, thinking of those kinds of things. Um, and you did, when you were at Facebook, you did um, some animations that had, it was like a person's hand went in, pushed a paper button, and then something happened. It was, mm -hmm. um, so you've done, had you already worked in animation um, or were, was that a new kind of challenge for you also? It was fairly new. I had done it in school just once. Um, it was very lo-fi. And then when I was at Facebook, um, I worked with some paper artists who had done it before, namely Tommy, uh, Tommy Perez. And he was he's amazing with um, stop motion and paper. And then I actually recently did one uh, with Wired Video. They were trying to explain something really complicated. It was uh, gene editing. And they wanted to make a video to explain it to make it easier. And so that one was stop motion and they had like the camera rig and everything. Um, so yeah, that's something that I want to get better at and want to do more of. Do you think you could do that with your camera setup, like on a tripod and do, or mm -hmm. do you think, okay, cool. Yeah. I'm glad. Cause I think those have, yours have a lot of life, but I, I think that those really kind of, they just were fun. It felt like something magical coming to life because we knew it was paper, but then something popped out or, you know, the little starburst came out. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just really yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. thought that was. So Derek has another suggestion or mm -hmm. something. Um, Steve G Jenkins is a well-known Boulder paper artist who does mm -hmm. books for kids and he picks topics, especially animals and sea creatures, but he's also done books on mountains, etc. And he said, check him out. So we'll cool. put him in the show notes also. Yeah, um, I know. Thank you. Um, Derek, um, Steve Jenkins, I'm writing all this down so I can get it in the show notes as well. Okay. Um, one of the things you talked about at WMC Fest was that you have a team, that it's not just you, that you have a team of supporters. And you talked about this a little bit. How 
why is that having those people there um, so important? Because I can imagine when you um, are, you know, having people come over and you're eating dinner and then you're like, hey, let's make some trees or um, it might not be normal, but I think it would really be, um, they would really be happy to help you. I mean, you're so cute and so happy to, I would be happy to help you too if I lived in your neighborhood. Um, but why was that so important? Because I do think it kind of takes over. Like if you started in July, I mean, you're doing this until November and then maybe you're not making every little thing until November, but then you have the install and you need mm -hmm. those people. But why is it, why is having people part, as part of your team, not people who you're paying necessarily, but people as part of your team, it, critical for, for you? Well, I guess first off, like something like an install or make a lot of things, you just can't do it alone. Um, and so I am really fortunate, I think, because I have friends who know me pretty well and who have known me for decades who um, know my work and what I do. And if they call me while I'm doing a window, then they know that I probably can't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> but they, they, you know, some of them are helping me with actually making things. You know, one time I ask my roommates if they can help me make little trees for the 826 window. You saw some of the pictures of them. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, maybe they can make two or three sometime. It's the weekend, whatever. And I came home from working all day on 826, and they were all around the dining table just making tiny trees, like a whole factory of them. <laughs> we're just drinking wine and, like, having fun and making these beautiful little trees. And I just, you know, that's the kind of support that I'm so grateful to have. And so there, there's a level of support where it's, you know, sometimes I need help with actually making the work, especially for windows. Um, and it can also be, you know, a friend who I call on to drive the giant van of props from my house to the window or who orders pizza while we're all installing or who like make sure that we have ladders, you know, that right. kind of thing. And right. Even just the, I think it's the act of showing up and it's, it's really heartwarming, mm. but it's super important just because not only because you can't do it alone, but because it's nice to know that you have an entourage of people <laughs> that are willing to help. Um, and I had a lot of trouble with that in the beginning because I, I didn't really like asking for help. Mm. I, I felt like I was inconveniencing people. But at a certain point, I think um, some, one of my friends made it clear to me that, you know, like, I really want to help. You just have to tell me how, you know, and that kind of thing. So that's um, good. Yeah. Well, and then you also even online. So if people don't know people like that in their area, I don't know how you meet good people people that will help you build trees. But, um, but also when you did the hundred day project, just having other people going through it at the same time, I think they oh, may yeah. not, I think you end up connecting somebody with somebody else that really does continue to encourage you. And I think sometimes it's just you, you showing up and doing it and them showing up and commenting really makes a difference. I think. Yeah, I, that was one of the unexpected outcomes of the 100 day project. The first time was I wasn't used to having people I didn't know liking or commenting on anything that I posted because I hadn't really posted work before that. Um, but it was really cool. You know, everyone was like tapping on the hashtag for the 100 day project to see all of the other projects and kind of popping in to be like, this is really great, you know, and that's sort of what keeps you going around day 60 when it's way harder. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, that was that was really great. So Ezra has another question. Mm -hmm. How would be a beginner go about learning how to do stop motion animation with paper? So can you go back to like when you were in school and it was mm -hmm. real lo-fi? Mm -hmm. What would what did you do then and kind of what were some steps that you would tell somebody to take now? 
Um, I don't think you need fancy equipment. There are even stop motion apps for iPhones and Android devices that help you actually line up your photos and stuff like that. When I first did my project, um, I made a bunch of little props that had magnets in them. And then I had a cookie sheet and I put um, green on there as my like paper layer for the ground. And then all of my props would stick because of magnets. And I would just move them, take a picture, move them again, take a picture. And so I think if you can think of just a simple mm. story, and it doesn't even have to be 3D. It's just um, being able to show a story happening um, with just really minuscule movements. Then that's, I think that's all you really need. And you can pop them into one of the stop motion software, like either on iPhone or on the computer to, to string them all together. That's a great, that's, that's a great tip. And I, I want to share a couple of other things that you shared with me. Because mm -hmm. um, I said, oh, do you do your own photos? And you said, yes, I do mostly my lighting. Uh, I mean, I use natural light, but then you also use um, a softbox light, which I'm going to share um, th that in the chat right now. Sure. So when would you use this lighting and so why? I have to preface this by saying that I haven't used it that often, but I'm kind of learning to do studio lighting a little bit more. Um, natural light is my absolute favorite, but sometimes it's not available. <laughs> so um, when it's too dark outside, I have started using these softbox lights. Um, and yeah, I think it's just good to have that alternative and also to get well versed in lighting because mm -hmm. I do so much of it, um, so much of my own photography. All right, and then I can't believe nobody's asked this question. Ezra, I'm disappointed in you for not asking this one. But it's about the glue because especially on those trees, you have this tiny, it looks like a, a toothpick. I mean, it's not a toothpick, but it that yeah, it's that, yeah, I mean, it's tiny. So the kind of glue you are able to use for certain projects, obviously some glues are, you're going to have more paper that overlaps, so it's oh. not as critical. But what, and... And are you at all worried about like pH and um, acid free when you're yeah. talking about your glue or your paper? Here, let me show you. <laughs> you guys notice that the tree has a crown? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it says yas on it. Oh. Um, yeah, I made the crown and then my roommate put it on the tree. Uh, this is the glue I use. It's like kind of old and crackly, but it's it's just pH neutral PVC glue. That's mostly what I what I use. I think I put it in the. Um, I am. It it is. It, yep. And um, so I'm gonna put it in the chat. And these are also okay. all in the show notes. So they're already on her page there. So we can yeah. make sure we get that to everybody. Um, when I'm doing bigger things, I use a glue gun. But this one is one that has a needle. Small tip. Yeah. So it's oh, but you still have thick glue coming out. Yeah, it's giant. I think. It's, Holy moly! It's Bosch, so I think it's like kind of hardcore industrial. And you can, <laughs> this one you can get on Amazon, but it comes from Europe, I think. I don't know. It's, it, it takes forever to get here. But um, this is the only one I found, and my friend Kat told me about it that has the the needle nose, so it comes out a little cleaner. But hot glue is really messy to begin with, so I don't use it too often. Only if it's structural. So then you also said like one of your go-to things was an XL K2 knife. What does that look like? Um, I'm an evangelist for this type of knife. Um, I'll show you that too. So it's, it's just an X-Acto, but it's fatter. Yeah. Um, and I prefer the XL brand just because um, 
I feel like the blades are a little bit stronger. And then because the angle at the end of this isn't as sharp as a, a normal sized um, blade, it, mm -hmm. I feel like you get a little bit better um, control. Do you sharpen your blades or do you um, just throw them away? I have to throw them away. I don't, I don't have a good way of... Do you know you can use just like, you know, printmakers are pretty thrifty. Yeah. And the printmaker at my school, Megan Moore, um, she's not here anymore. She lives in New York. But um, she um, uses a fine tooth uh, black sandpaper grit. And then, it, then you don't have to go through as many blades. Oh, maybe I'll try that. I know. Well, and she was, she, you know, they, she does a lot of tiny little cuts a lot and they didn't want to. Um, yeah, because <laughs> this is, this is my blade disposal. <laughs> I have so many in here. Yeah. And I have packs of 100, so I have quite a few. <laughs> well, you might just want, I mean, maybe it's not worth it, but um, then you could get a little bit more life out of them. Cause sometimes after you've cut a little bit, you really are, they're kind of dead. Yeah, that's a really good idea. So um, two, two more questions from the audience. Nikki asked, do you ever have wrist or hand problems? If so, what do you use to ease or remedy it? Because I bet, I mean, you're doing this every day. I actually don't have that many wrist or hand problems, but I have more <laughs> like neck problems just oh. because you know, I'm looking down at the things that I'm cutting out and some, a lot of it is really detailed. And so... I've worked with a desk that's more like a drafting table that goes diagonal and that helps because it gets closer, but then things slide down and fall off my desk. So it's, it's kind of a um, dilemma, I guess. I just have to make sure I get up and stretch. And then um, Daniel asked, do you ever use a swivel tip knife? I was wondering about this too. No, I have, have never done that. So Exacto makes a swivel tip. Um, they also have finger knives that you put in your finger at the crap. I tried it. I didn't like it, but yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe you would. I don't know. I felt like I wanted the pencil kind of feel when I was cutting. Yeah. Not. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people that cut with scalpels, like medical grade. Especially like if they did design school in England, that seems like the the normal thing to use. Huh. <laughs> um, Daniel also said you might want to test whether or not a pyramid will sharpen those old blades. I don't know what a pyramid, a pyramid? is. Like in Egypt? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know. Daniel, you'll have to write me and tell me what you're talking about. Oh, Ezra said, do you ever use a tape runner? Does that pH glue dry fast? Um, what's a tape runner? <gasps> you don't know what a tape runner is? <laughs> Hang on. Let me get one to show you. These are my favorite. So I worked at a scrapbooking magazine when I first got out of school when I was in uh -huh. Denver. And so this is, a, I don't really like this brand. Oh, so, yeah. You mm -hmm. know, tape runner. And they're refillable. This is a Tombow uh, adhesive. Have you ever you used know, this? I haven't really used those. I mostly use glue, I guess. Sometimes I use, um, like if I need to do something, the, the equivalent of that, I do use double stick tape sometimes because if you're doing like, really big expansive paper to another really big expansive paper then right. the glue warps it you know so I'll use tape but most of the time I use this glue it dries fairly fast it dries clear um, and what I like about it um, compared to other white glues is that it doesn't get stretchy as it dries so it's not like things are kind of stretching all over the place right and then 
There, I put um, the silicone tools in the tool list, but I use that to apply the glue. Um, so do you have one of those? Because I'll stick, stick that in. You also had one other tool, so I want to make sure people... Oh, okay. And then it's nice because then you can just pop off the dry glue and then use it again. But sometimes I also just use little corners of pieces of paper if I need to get somewhere really fine. Huh. That's yeah. good. Good to know. So yeah. there, um, this, the other, the last thing that you had sent me was a metal cork backed ruler. So I have cut off a ton. Can you see how much I lost of this finger? Mm -hmm. So see how much I lost? That was the first time I cut it. The next time it's pretty bad. You can't see it because oh. it's not focusing. But anyway, so I've had some serious injury um, <laughs> where I had to go to the hospital. Yeah. So what about you? Have you, you, you look like you have all your digits, so. I have all my digits. Um, I haven't really ever cut myself, knock on wood, um, but I'm, I also, I kind of, approach, I have a fear a little bit of the blade, so I, I try to cap it whenever I can, and then I guess the most injury is like paper cuts when I'm handling large sheets of paper, so that doesn't happen as often, um, but yeah, the cork-backed ruler helps because it doesn't slip. I know, you know, I see my students, they'll turn it over. And I'm like, hey, hey, you're not using oh, that ruler right. I yeah. think you need the cork down. Anyway, I guess. Yeah, or if you cut on an aluminum ruler that's only for measuring, then it'll cut into the ruler itself too. Yeah. That's our tough one. I like the metal for sure. So six inches is really all you need, or do you have a longer um, ruler I too? Have, I have a ton. So six inches is if I'm just working at my desk and doing the small stuff, but I have 15, 18, and 24 too. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> um. All right, so I have a, um, a ton of more questions, so we may just have to do a part two, but okay. I have so enjoyed having you on, and I'm so thankful that you took so much time to share, and I hope that I see your work on pajama pants sometime <laughs> soon. Thank you. But um, I want to make sure everybody knows, um, Kim Pinella and I are doing this thing for the month of February, um, and we're doing five kind of giveaways. Maybe there will be a tape runner in there also, but for sure there's... Um, there's going to be a, a water brush or two water brushes and some tools that her and I both really just like. So um, we're doing three giveaways for the first two weeks um, when you, we are posting and then you just comment and you tag two friends in it, but you have to like both Kim Panella and Design Recharge. And then the last two weeks, it, we will choose someone live at uh, next Design Recharge. And it's there's lots of things in this, so it's not just little bitty like a art snacks box it'll have some tools but we're also going to have a couple other things things to inspire you things for you to send to somebody else and so this week is um so that what we're calling it is love on designers so you can use the hashtag so maybe this week we're wanting everybody to energize so there will be some coffee stickers that kim has come up with you can check all these out i'm going to um, put this bitly link um, so you can kind of see what the rules are and you can um, on Instagram, you'll see these coffee pod stickers that Kim's made and um, just to make somebody's day or maybe take somebody to coffee this week or just bring them a cup of coffee or give them something. Just It could be somebody who's a designer, somebody who's a creative, somebody at your work or somebody who you're a freelancer and you don't work with anybody, so it's somebody else. So just kind of loving on somebody else this whole month, except one week, the third week, is all about loving on yourself. So you're going to get a massage or pedicure or 
whatever. Um, do something for yourself. Maybe go to the movies. We have uh, some ideas of you to do. And then um, the show notes will be, let me get that for you right now, Ezra. And let's see. It will be right here. I should have just done this. Copy link. I'm going to plop that in right here. I should have made a bit.ly for that, but that's where all the, it's rechargingyou.com. If you type in Reina Takahashi, T-A-K-A-H-A-S-H-I, <laughs> um, you, you would be able to find that, um, or Reina Soar, which is her handle. So I'm going to share her, um, her website right now, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. So your website is um, www.reina and then saur.com. So I love that. How did you come up with that name? Oh, it's just a nickname from college. I actually well, sometimes think it's like one of those like, you know, AIM screen name in middle school that you're sort of embarrassed about, but you <laughs> anyway, it's, it's kind of like that. Well, I love it. I think it's terrific. I imagine this little dinosaur with little bitty arms, kind of like a T-Rex, <laughs> I guess. But then you can also find her on Instagram and on Twitter with that same um, R-E-I-N-A-S-A-U-R. Mm -hmm. It's pretty good. That's pretty short. That's a great um, – I think Anna Mac had one more question. Have you ever used glue dots? Or Scotch and Uline both make it, and they also have a pop-up adhesive dot. Have you ever done that to make things pop out? There's – um, oh yeah. Oh, I don't. Know do you know that. what I'm talking about? There's like 3D dots. Yeah. Yeah, I use those sometimes to to like kind of level things up a little bit. The glue dots I don't really use very often, just because I use adhesive so often. I don't. I think you don't it's need a it. Expensive for what it is. Yeah. Well, and they um, I've tried to cut them. Like they have small ones and then they have bigger ones. It's they really stick to the scissors or the knife blade if you're cutting it. It does. Mm -hmm. It's really mm -hmm. adhesive, I guess. So. Um, but, uh, and I also wanted to share one more thing. Um, Andrew Berkemeyer was on back, I think in November and he had his first single come out. And so I told him I would share it. And so I'm going to pop that over. All this will be in the show notes, the love on designer stuff, as well as Andrew's new song. Check it out. It was great. I uh, bought it last or last week, I think, but it came out on February 2nd. So this is my first opportunity to share it. So thank you guys all for coming. I hope you guys will come back. We come every week. Next week we have David Breyer, who's a branding guru. He's been in the business for quite some years, and he really has a great um, way of looking at things. He has a ton of energy, and I can't wait to have him on the show too. But thank you so much, Raina, for thank being you. here and being super inspiring, and I'm sorry we only got through half the questions. but <laughs> Okay. Thank you so I, much. I'm so glad. So, guys, we'll see you next week.